0: Welcome to another To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. And I just wanted to say before we start this podcast today, thank you for so many of you who reached out after last week's podcast on all the stuff we've been going through with love and respect and on the post. It was just such an encouragement to me. And I really love the fact that you guys are behind me and so thank you. Today I want to launch more into our Iron Sharpens Iron series that we've been doing on the blog and I want to talk about on this podcast some of the main thoughts that are in that series and to help us see what Iron Sharpening Iron is supposed to look like. But before I do, I just have one quick update about the whole love and respect thing. I don't want to belabor this too much, but I do want to tell you what's going on. So Focus on the Family did actually issue a statement on Friday about some of the things I've I've been saying. They never made reference to my open letter that I ran last week. They never linked to anything. However, they did make some factually incorrect statements about me. That's what I put on Twitter. And that's what I put online that they issued factually incorrect statements. But generally, when people speak things which they know are factually untrue, there's a better word for it, (laughs) which we call lying. And I didn't put that on the internet, but that is what they did um, because they lied about things that they know about. They said that despite attempts to clarify this with Mrs. Gregoire via email, she has continued to mischaracterize and selectively excerpt focus on the family's replies to her and her supporters. That makes it sound like they've been engaging in email conversations with me. In truth, I have sent them five emails. Of those five, they have only responded to one. It was a very short response and they only responded because I threatened to go public with their non-response. And then they say that I have selectively excerpted their replies. Actually, in my open letter, I published a PDF of their replies in full. The reply they made to me and the form letter they've been sending to my supporters. So, when you publish something in full, that's not selectively excerpting something. And they have not been engaging with my arguments at all. And there's so many more problematic things with their statement, including, of course, doubling down on love and respect. They say that they believe that it is a biblically sound, empowering message for husbands and wives. So they still believe that a book which has harmed so many of you and which says that sex is only about a husband's physical release and never even mentions uh, the fact that women should feel pleasure is biblically sound and an empowering message for wives. So my big thing is you know whenever I talk about them I link to them and so in the podcast description I will link to their statement and I will also link to the statement that I put out in response. They never link to me. Every time I've critiqued them I link to them. And the reason you do that is it's just good internet etiquette. It lets people see the full context so they can judge for themselves. I mean, maybe people will see the full context and they'll think I'm wrong. And you know what? That is your prerogative. But you can't make that decision until you've seen the full context. And Focus has never actually linked to me. So, that's where we're at. If you want to help You could raise some of these issues with focus, you know, why are you spreading false information about me or why aren't you linking to me? Uh, You can get a hold of them through Facebook or email, however you want, and I would greatly appreciate it. But now that that is out of the way, I really do want to start in with our topic at hand, which is iron sharpening iron. I started this month saying that marriage is supposed to make us better people. It is not supposed to enable selfishness or laziness or immaturity. It's supposed to spur each of us on to love and good deeds so that we are looking more and more like Christ in our daily walk. And that is God's design for marriage. That's God's desire for marriage. And yet sometimes the things that we believe about how we're supposed to act in marriage actually go directly against that. And that is what I want to confront today. And so I want to talk about something which I mentioned, last week on the blog in quite a lot of depth is that it is not a sin to bring up issues with your spouse. It is not a sin to confront your spouse. Now, it might be a sin if you do it in a terrible way and if you yell at them or belittle them or call them names, etc., etc. But just to raise issues that are bothering you are not sins. And so I wanna go through some of the arguments that we have and that we sometimes hear in church that can make us think that speaking up about something that's bugging us is a sin which can inadvertently make us enable bad behavior, which is so not what God wants from us. So see if you recognize any of these sacred cows that I actually want to slaughter today. Okay. And the the issue with a lot of these nuggets I'm going to bring up is that they have an element of truth, but the problem is we're not looking at them with God's full perspective and with the full story. So, Here's one you've probably heard. you can't change anyone else. you can only change yourself. That is true. I've said that on many in many blog posts is that we cannot change anyone else. In fact yesterday on the blog, I even um, was posting an article on how praying hard enough is not necessarily going to change your abusive marriage because God does not force someone to change their heart or their actions. God can speak to someone, God can soften our hardened hearts, God can change circumstances, but God does not force anyone to do the right thing. Okay, so we cannot change anyone else. We all have free will and people can choose to do what they want to do. Uh, And so that all is very true. But just because you can't change someone's behavior does not mean that you can't talk about things or that you have to accept everything that they're doing. And sometimes that's the message we hear. Well, I can't change him, so I have to change myself. I have to find a way to be happy with this, or I have to find a way to be nicer to them regardless. But you know, it isn't such a bad thing to just say, hey, babe, when you do this, it bugs me a bit. Or, hey, babe, do you mind changing this? No, sweetie, I love you very much, but I hate picking up your dirty socks in the morning. Can you throw them in the hamper? That is not a sin. (laughs) So you can talk about things. And in a healthy relationship, you are able to talk about the things that are bothering you. Now, ultimately, what that saying means, you can't change anyone else, you can only change yourself, is really about how you can't change what someone else does, but you can change how you react to them. And that's that's what we're talking about when, when it comes to setting boundaries. And I talked a lot about that this week on our Iron Sharpens Iron series. I got super practical about different steps that you can take when when there are specific issues that are bugging you like if he's playing video games too much um if he's not putting the laundry in the hamper if she's talking to her mom too much if she's spending too much money any of those things i dealt with very specific ways that you can deal with those things on the blog this week but just because you can't actually change someone does not mean that you have to settle for everything that they do you're allowed to talk about stuff and you're allowed to draw boundaries all right, here's another one that can be poison. You shouldn't have expectations in marriage. When we used to speak at, a, at family life conferences, we still do, but there was an older curriculum that was written by Family Life US. And a lot of what it talked about was the expectations that we have going into marriage and how unrealistic most of our expectations are. And that is true. You know, we all come into marriage with expectations because we all see the world in a certain way due to our personalities and our family backgrounds and our culture. And our spouse doesn't necessarily share those things. And so your spouse may be doing things that bug you without even realizing it because the way that they think that life should be is very different from the way you think life should be. So you think they're doing something wrong when they don't see it that way whatsoever. And so this clash of expectations is certainly an issue. But I think we can make too much of it. Because yes, you may expect that your spouse is going to do half the housework because your dad did half the housework. Um, But your spouse grew up with a mom who did everything. And so he doesn't live that way. And so that may just be a clash of expectations. But There are certain things that it's okay to expect. (laughs) You know, when you get married, you do expect that your spouse is going to care about your feelings. You do expect that your spouse is going to stay loyal to you and be completely and utterly faithful to you. You do expect that your spouse is going to love you and share money with you and all those things because those are things that you vowed and it is okay to expect those things. Um, I have a post on things that you are allowed to expect in marriage and I will link to that in the podcast description for this podcast as well. But just because some of our expectations can lead to a lot of discontentment does not mean that we should not have any expectations. And it is okay to expect that you will have a marriage where you both feel listened to and heard, where you both feel respected, where you both feel loved, where you both work hard, but also get a chance to relax. And if that's not happening in your marriage, it's okay to talk about it. It really is. All right, here's another one. If you want your spouse to meet your needs, you need to meet their needs first. If you're feeling unloved, or unappreciated or lonely, it's likely that your spouse is too. And certainly one of the best ways to grow the marriage is to stop waiting for your spouse to do the right thing and to reach out and meet your spouse's needs and help them feel loved. That's something Keith and I were talking about last weekend when we were speaking at a marriage retreat in Guelph. Uh, We talked about the sex circle, which goes something like this. When you make love, you tend to feel a lot more affectionate afterwards. And when you feel affectionate, you're, you feel close to each other. When you feel closer, you laugh together. That brings the tension level down in marriage. When you're able to laugh, you tend to start desiring each other. And when you desire each other, you make love and so on. And a lot of us will look at that circle and will think, yeah, like if only my husband would start showing some affection, we could get this ball rolling. Or if you're the higher drive spouse, do you think, yeah, if only my spouse would make love more, we could start that ball rolling. But really, if we all take ownership of our own part in the distance in marriage and we jump in at the point where our spouse needs us, we can also get that ball rolling. So if you're the lower libido spouse, maybe you need to make love more. If you're the higher libido spouse, maybe you need to find ways to bring down the stress level and to laugh more with your spouse. You know, whatever it is, that is certainly true. As we reach out and meet our spouse's needs and as we show love and as we um, become generous with them and get... rid of bitterness, we do bring that tension level down. We find it easier to talk to them about little things and when you can talk to them about little things, it's so much easier to talk to them about the bigger things and deal with some of these issues for sure. So that is certainly true. When we can do what we can to meet our spouse's needs, we do change the dynamic in the relationship Uh, and that can often lead to a lot more harmony. Whereas when we're waiting for them to change, we often just double down and get stuck. So a lot of truth to that. However, it's not all true. Meeting someone's needs does not guarantee that they will become better people overnight. I mean, some people are just plain selfish. And if we give more, they take more. I wanted to say thank you to all of the 22,000 women who filled out our bare marriage survey in November and December. You helped us so much. And we've been wading through a lot of the responses and a lot of the open-ended questions. Such a wealth of, of data there. And we're going to be doing this for months. Um, but one, of the, one, one woman said this. The Five Love Languages book left me with the impression that if I just keep loving him the way he needs to be loved that he would reciprocate, but that never happened. It was only when I started speaking up about what was wrong with our marriage and trying to expect it differently that he started to change. And that's a really common dynamic. You know, just because you meet someone's needs, just because you do the right thing does not guarantee that they will also do the right thing. Yes, it's more likely, but it doesn't guarantee. So we need to get out of that mindset too. But there's another element of that as well. What we also hear is if you love him in the way he needs to be loved, he will love you in the way you need to be loved. But that kind of makes loving him conditional. It's like you're loving him in order to get something. That's not truly loving either. And I I think the issue here is that we need to separate what we should be doing from what it's okay for us to expect. So I believe that you need to love your spouse regardless, but then if they don't return it, it's okay for you to take other action. The second part does not influence the first and vice versa. So we should not be meeting someone's needs in order to get them to to meet our needs. We should be meeting their needs for sure and loving them as a spouse, but then it's okay to make it an issue if they don't change in return. So those are the general messages that we hear. But then there's a whole lot of gendered messages too about confronting your spouse, which get really messy. So let's dive into those. Not all of the gendered messages are directed at women either. Some are also directed at men. For instance, people preach, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church, giving up everything for her. Definitely true that scripture, Ephesians 5, husbands are to love their wives sacrificially. But often we elevate this idea of sacrifice to mean something that the Bible never intended it to mean. It is not glorifying to God to suffer for no reason, and it is not glorifying to God to To be miserable and to make your life miserable in order for someone else to grow further and further away from God. When Jesus suffered, it was always for a purpose. Jesus let go of his own needs and his own rights in order to help us reconcile with God. If husbands, or wives for that matter, but we're talking specifically about husbands now, if husbands let go of all of their legitimate needs in marriage, that doesn't mean that they're building the marriage. An intimate marriage requires the sharing of two hearts, which means if you're stuffing all of your emotions down, you actually aren't sharing yourself. Your spouse may feel great, Your spouse may have an easy time because you're making their life so easy, but they don't really know you. That is not creating intimacy. Intimacy is only created when two people truly share each other, share their hearts, share their feelings, share their opinions, share everything. Stuffing your emotions down means that you're not intimate in any way whatsoever. And so letting go of your legitimate needs will not build an intimate marriage. That's what I call peacekeeping rather than peacemaking. And in my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage, I talk about the difference. Peacekeeping is just keeping conflict under the surface. It's making sure conflict never rears its ugly head peacemaking is entering into that conflict, dealing with it, and finding a way to get us on the same page. Peacekeeping keeps us on different sides of the fence, but stops any conflict from rearing up. Whereas peacemaking gets you on the same side of the fence. It's a much more difficult thing to do. And for a lot of us, it's very uncomfortable because we're people pleasers. But I believe that God is calling us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And yes, Jesus suffered, but there is no glory in suffering so that someone else can move away from Christ. Jesus only suffered so that we could get closer to God, not further away from him. And we need to watch the reason that we are allowing ourselves to suffer. All right, what about the gendered messages towards women? (laughs) Well... Wives submit to your husbands is often used to say that men are in charge of the marriage. In fact, in Love and Respect, Emerson Egridge actually said that to respect your husband means to treat him as the boss. So he is supposed to be the boss of the marriage. And the thing about a boss is that they get to make the decisions and they get to decide what the parameters of your job is going to be. So they get to decide what the employees do. You're upset about something you actually lose the right to talk about that because you're not the one who sets the stage and who sets the tone for what your marriage is supposed to be like. That is his God given role. Now, when I look at that, I say that is a completely wrong interpretation of the word submit. And I did another podcast on this a while ago on what husband is head of the wife really means. And I will also link to that in the podcast description for this podcast, because it's an important one to understand. But God does not say, that the man gets to set the tone for the house and gets to decide everything that a wife does and that she just needs to put up with it. That is not what God wants for us. What God wants first and foremost is always that we seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, not just seek to make our husbands happy. God wants us to be good, not just nice. And the way that we do that is we act in such a way that point our husbands to God. And that involves bringing up issues that we think are destructive to either to our husbands or to the relationship or even just to us. That's okay because you matter to God too. And then there's this one. It is disrespectful to your husband to confront him on something that he has done wrong. Last week on the podcast, Rebecca and I shared about this particular one um, in the email thread that she had with love and respect. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't. But talking about something that is bothering you is not disrespecting someone, even though that's a really common accusation that's often hurled at us. I think it's because of a misconception of what respect means. You see, we can respect someone, meaning that we admire or esteem them. Like if I say, I respect Mother Teresa, or I respect... Megan's decision to not want to live in the UK anymore and to get away from the tabloids. What that means is I am saying I think that what they're doing is very admirable. Uh, I think that's wonderful. And sometimes I get the impression that the teaching towards women is that we should always feel that way about our husbands. And it doesn't work that way. You know, if your husband is using porn, you don't need to respect that. <laughs> if your husband is, is acting selfishly or if he's being really immature, you don't need to respect that. And if you're doing that, he doesn't need to respect that in you either. There are other definitions of respect. And this is the one that Emerson Eggrich uses too, is that you respect your boss, meaning you do what your boss says. And if you're supposed to do what your boss says, then again, you can't bring up criticism or you can't bring up issues that you think are wrong. And that is not biblical either. So allow me to offer another way of seeing respect. And this is really the way that the book Boundaries sees respect. And I think this is what we all should be aspiring to is that respect really means treating someone who has the right to make their own decisions and have their own feelings. So you are not trying to manipulate them. You are not trying to coerce them. You are not even trying to change them. They have the right to make their own decisions, to think what they want to think, to say what they want to say. But boundaries also means that you have that same right too. So you also have the right to think what you want to think. You have the right to your own feelings. You have the right to speak. And in the book Boundaries, it takes you through biblically, how God designed us that way, (laughs) that we are supposed to own our feelings, that we do have responsibility for the things that God has put in our own field. And they picture boundaries like fences around fields. And we each own our own field. And we should be responsible for what is inside our field, the people that we're responsible for, our own feelings, our own responsibilities, etc. But then we need to honor other people's fences. And when you're speaking to your husband, you need to be honoring his fence. He has the right if he wants to have an affair. But you also have the right to respond to that. He has the right to do whatever he wants. That is his right as a human being. But you have a right to respond to that as well. So the difference is in how you treat him. You're not trying to manipulate. You're not being passive aggressive. You're being very clear with what you think. <laughs> like, it's like It's like the joke that's in uh, my big fat Greek wedding, you know, oh yes, the husband is the head of the wife, but the wife is the neck that that moves the head or turns the head or whatever it is. And everyone brings up that quote all the time whenever I talk about this stuff. But actually that's not a very good picture of what respect means because what they're really saying is that the wife is able to manipulate the husband and the wife is able to, to be passive aggressive and change things. And I think that a lot of Christian teaching actually teaches women to be passive aggressive because we're not allowed to speak what we actually think or want. If we do, that's considered disrespectful. And so if you can't speak clearly about what you think or want because disrespectful, the only options open to us are to to beat around the bush. And, And so we need to get over this idea that pointing out anything that is wrong is disrespectful to our spouse. And the way that we do that, I believe, is just keeping the bigger picture in mind God wants us looking more and more like Jesus. God wants us to be transformed to look like Christ and that means that we need to be iron sharpening iron. Now if you're wondering okay but how do I actually bring up these things please take a look at the post this week on how you can address some of these issues with your spouse and then next week we'll be looking on the blog at what to do if your spouse just doesn't change regardless of what you say. So stay tuned these are important things because Marriage is supposed to make us better people. It is not ever supposed to enable selfishness, immaturity, or laziness. Peacemaker versus peacekeeper. They're not the same thing. One addresses conflicts and deals with them. One shoves conflicts under the rug to keep things on an even keel. God calls us to make peace, and sometimes that's messy, even in marriage. That's one of the thoughts in my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage don't settle for an okay marriage, get a great one with my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. Every podcast, I like to do a reader question. And this one is an interesting one. But I want to use it as an example of the kind of thing that I hear a lot. And maybe give us a bit of a pep talk. Because I think some of my listeners could use it. So here is the question several years ago my husband lost the job he had had for decades when that happened he went off the deep end drinking staying out all hours refusing to find work i was working a full-time job and three part-time jobs just trying to pay the bills of course we had arguments and all the typical issues in the process of all this i was diagnosed with significant illness he told me there's nothing wrong with me i just needed to get off my lazy you know what and go back to work i was so sick i couldn't walk four feet without falling but he didn't care He finally found a job but refused to put me on his insurance. I couldn't find insurance because of my medical issues and I went a year and a half without medical care. Then he started calling and texting a friend he works with. I found out who she was. I let it ride and then a year and a half ago I see a different number on the phone bill, hours and hours of phone time and up to 50 texts per day. I find out who it is. Then he is visiting our adult daughter and asks how to tell me he has found someone special. I corner him. He swears it's over, but it came up again recently. He had never ended it. He claims it's now over, but he's still working with her. He still says they're friends. I've turned this all over to God, but how do I trust him again? All right. Oh, my word. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. I just want to draw people's attention to that last comment that she made. I have turned it all over to God, but how do I trust him again? That is not the question to ask in this scenario. And yet that is the question that far too many of us are asking, whether it's uh, men or women, because I I get this from men too. This This is not a women's issue, okay? I hear similar scenarios from guys on the other side. They'll tell me all these absolutely horrible things that their spouse has done. And then they'll say, I've handed this over to God. Now how do I trust him? That's not the question. Because again, what we are doing is we are making marriage into this idol where we don't want to let go of the marriage. We're so desperate to keep the marriage together that we're ignoring reality and we're discounting what it is that we genuinely need. God is not happy when we enable sin. Enabling sin does not lead people into a closer relationship with Jesus. Enabling sin allows people to keep doing terrible things to us and to others and to get away with it. It takes away people's motivation to do the right thing and to get to know Jesus better. A very clear principle in scripture is that you're supposed to reap what you sow. And as Henry Cloud and John Townsend say in their book Boundaries, this is so important. A lot of us are disrupting the law of sowing and reaping. Our spouses are sowing terrible things in our marriage, terrible discord, and yet we are the ones reaping it. We're not making our spouse reap it. So let's stand back and look at this question again. Her husband started drinking heavily. He made her wear her body out because he was too lazy to get a job. He ignored the fact that she was actually very sick and the woman did name the illness that she had. I'm not going to name it just for her privacy reasons, but it is a significant illness that he completely ignored. He deliberately left her off of his medical insurance showing that he is not caring for her. He had an emotional and perhaps a physical affair, which he covered up several times. This is not a good guy. And by refusing to deal with the fact that he is not a good guy, you're keeping him from knowing God because you are enabling his sin. I'm not saying you're supposed to divorce him. I'm not saying that. I don't know what she's supposed to do. I think that she needs to really pray about that. I think that she needs people around her to help her. But I would definitely say that she should not be putting up with a guy working with someone that he has been texting and having an affair with. That is not something that she should put up with. And she can draw boundaries and say, I will no longer live with you, sleep with you, whatever it may be, if you are doing this. Instead, we need to work towards how we can rebuild this. And we also need to address many of the other outstanding issues in our marriage. And that's what she needs to do. By saying, I have turned it all over to God. I'm sorry, but I think that's a cop out. Of course, we are supposed to pray. And of course, we are supposed to trust God with our future. But that does not mean that we are not supposed to then take action ourselves. And a lot of us turn things over to God as a way of getting out of having to actually do something that's highly uncomfortable. Because Confronting your spouse, especially your spouse of decades, is highly uncomfortable and it's really scary. It's like you're disrupting everything that your life is built on. But you know what? Your life should be built on God, not on your marriage. Do not put your marriage in front of God. And if we're going to trust God, that means trusting God even when we do the right thing. And the right thing here is to confront her husband with what he is doing to her. So the question is not how do I trust my husband? The question is how do I draw proper boundaries and act right when my spouse is acting wrong? And the way you act right is you are still kind, but you are firm and you refuse to enable sin. God says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. I talked about this in nine thoughts that can change your marriage, but someone who is a peacemaker, maker is someone who deals with the conflict, who looks at it head on, and who unpacks it and who's not afraid to bring it out into the light. So please, don't just hand this over to God, pray about it, but then ask God to give you the courage to do the right thing, whatever that may be in your marriage, but to give you the courage to act in a godly way, and to allow your husband to reap what he sows and not to enable sin. Those are the questions that you should be asking, rather than just how can I keep my marriage together when your husband is doing something really wrong? All right, I said that I always answer one reader question on the podcast. I'm actually going to do two today because I hope I can handle this one a little bit faster and give some really quick thoughts. But here's what one woman wrote after my post ran on how it's okay to confront your husband. She says, my husband has been what could be seen as verbally abusive throughout our marriage, but not often and with much decreasing regularity. He was recently having thoughts of how do I even know God is real and asked me if I think that the spiritual atmosphere could influence you. I told him I think it's a possibility, but I also think that the enemy knows his weakness. He said something else in favor of what he thinks, and then I had another reason to substantiate my point of view, and he flipped out, started fighting with me in front of the kids, saying that I always think I'm right. I do struggle with that, but I thought we were having a conversation. I really wasn't inferring he was wrong. I said that I was just having a conversation with him and that I can never have an opinion that differs from his, and then I was accused of turning everything around to make it his fault. I'm not perfect by a long shot, but when it gets like that, he really puts me down and hurts me. What bothers me is that he apologized for the way he spoke to me, but not for what he said. I still feel that if I disagreed with him, that the same thing would happen again. I'm becoming distant because frankly, being on my own at the moment is better than being shouted at. I know that it's not wrong to confront him. I just honestly don't have the energy for it. Okay, I hear you. I really do. So let's just break down what she says. Whenever she and her husband have differing points of view on something, he blows up at her. And so she feels like she is not allowed to have her own opinions. And because she's a very opinionated person, which she has admitted, uh, she often doubles down and the whole thing ends badly. You can't solve this kind of thing after the fact. You have to deal with it right then. And if, when you're talking, he starts getting upset, or she starts getting upset, because you have a differing opinion, you need to stop the conversation right there and deal with that. And this, again, is not a gendered thing. I would say that in my marriage, I'm the one who does this to Keith. And maybe Keith and I can talk about that sometime on the podcast. But I have this deep need to be right. And when someone is upset at me, I feel like they're attacking me. And so I tend to attack back and It's difficult for me to emotionally distance myself from that and just see it as, okay, we're just having a nice conversation. I see it as an attack. And so I often go on the attack. So I get, I get what he's saying. I get what he's doing here. And I'll tell you that the only way to deal with this is when you're having a conversation and the other person gets upset, take a pause and just say, you look like you're getting upset. I want you to know that I love you and I am just simply expressing my opinion. Will you be upset if I continue to express my opinion or would you rather end the conversation here? Okay, let me repeat that because I think that's the right way to handle this. You stop the conversation when it gets upset and you acknowledge that it's getting upset. You look like you're getting upset. I feel like I am just expressing my opinion. If you would rather not hear my opinion, that's okay, but then I would rather stop the conversation here. What you don't want to do is start arguing the issue. So the issue here was, I think, um, why is it that you feel distant from God? She was saying the enemy knows your weakness. He was saying it could be a spiritual atmosphere in church. And so they were, they were having an argument about that. If she doubles down on what his weaknesses are uh, or how the enemy can target him in his area of weakness. So in other words, if she st- keeps debating the issue, it'll get worse. And so that's why you need to stop the argument because it's not about the argument. It's about whether or not you have the right in your marriage to express your own opinion. If he starts yelling at you in front of the kids, you stand up and you say, "Hun, i I'm happy to talk about this with you later, but not in front of the children and not like this. And then you can get up and leave or you can ask him to leave or whatever it might be. But you don't need to continue that conversation right there if it's in front of the kids. And I think that it's a good thing to teach your kids that I will not be yelled at. Um, And so that's another way that you draw boundaries. I think that the more that we speak up in the moment when something is happening, the more uh, we can deal with things. Because if we speak as soon as it starts, then we stop it from escalating. So again, just a little thing, hon, you look like you're getting upset. I'm just trying to express my opinion. If you do not want me to express an opinion that's different from yours, then I'm happy to stop the conversation right now. Just do that and see if that helps. So that's it for today's podcast. Remember, it is not a sin to confront your spouse. Let's everybody just seek first the kingdom of God. And that means spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And I truly think if you just simply speak up in a nice way, hey, babe, how about putting socks in the hamper <laughs> or I love you? I know you don't mean this, but when you do X, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. Could we change to Y instead? Just say these things. You're allowed to think things, and if we just say these things in marriage, just calmly make it a normal thing, I think we'll find that we all get along a whole lot better. So join me on the blog at tolovehonorandvacuum.com as we continue to explore in this month of January how to make sure that iron does sharpen iron and how to raise things in a healthy and constructive way. And please, as I'm going through all this turmoil right now as I've taken on some pretty big Christian entities in the Christian world because I am just so burdened by how much uh, women are being hurt by a lot of the Christian teaching out there. If you could support me in any way just because I am being so attacked, it really would help. So, you know, leave a five-star review on this podcast recommend it share my open letter just let other people know about me and that would be a great encouragement and would help me too to withstand some of the stuff that's being hurled at me right now so thanks again for joining me and I will see you next week on to love honor and vacuum podcast when Keith joins me for our start your engines men's edition